Well, thank you, Cindy, for sharing the word of the Lord with us this morning. That's a great passage of scripture, and we'll dig into it a bit deeper in a bit. Uh, Before we do, though, I want to invite you to join me in doing a survey on Kahoot.it. So if you've got your uh, smartphone or if you've got a laptop at home or something like that, then go to Kahoot.it, and we're going to do a quick quick survey on today's topic, which today's topic is the topic of of peace. So, um, yeah, so grab that. Here's the number, 536-2396. That number is 536-2396. So if you just put that little game pin into the phone, then it'll give you a little identity, and you'll be able to help us with this survey together. So we'll just take a few more minutes so our online crowd can... There's a bit of a lag between uh, our time, so we'll just take a few more seconds here. How many of you are already in? Okay, great, great. Okay. Are you excited? Excited to just share what you feel through your phone? It's exciting, okay. Well, I'm excited too, and hopeful. (laughs) How are we doing with this? Well... Maybe we're facing a bit of technical difficulties. Can I get a a nod from the back? Oh, here we are. Here we are. Here's our first question. Let's go. How do you score on Pastor Kurt's mashup quiz from last week? So you had to have chimed in last week. So here's he had his great quiz that he did. But here's here's the answers. I got eight out of eight song titles. Maybe that's true. Maybe you got them all last week. Maybe as a result of his crazy quiz, you had happy trails stuck in your head all week, and that might be true about you. Or maybe it was just fun to see who was watching church and playing along, or you just simply had no idea what was happening, but you were still happy. Now, the the hint in that is that all of his songs had happy in them, and it was a mashup, and we were supposed to figure it out, and I'm not sure that that many did, but we'll, we'll find out in a few seconds. Here we go. So... Okay, so four people say they got eight out of eight. That's really great. And uh, nobody had happy trails. And well, yeah. And it seems like the predominant thing was most people had no idea what was going on. (laughs) But we were happy. So that was good. That was worth it. That was enjoyable. I thought it was very creative what Kurt did last week. All right, let's go to our next question. Here we go. Here's our next survey question. It says, I know God has forgiven me because of what Jesus has done. So, I know God has forgiven me because of what Jesus has done. So you might say, yes, 100%, that's true. Or you might say, I struggle with doubt in this area. That's the, so yes, 100% is the triangle. The diamond is, I struggle with doubt in this area. The yellow circle is, says, I'm growing in this area. And then the green square is, I need to learn more about what Jesus has done for me. So I know God has forgiven me because of what Jesus has done. Is that true? Is that something you're, uh, you've got some doubts in that area? Are you growing in that area? Or you need to learn more about what Jesus has done for you in this area? All right, chime in with those answers. I'm excited to see where people are at in these kind of things. All right. I know I'm supposed to give a little more time for this, so I guess I should. Here we go. Well, the most predominant answer is yes. So lots of people just say, I do know that. I do know that God has forgiven me because of what Jesus has done. And then there's some who are growing in that area as well. Both really positive responses. Exciting. Good things to celebrate. All right, let's go to the next question. I'm not angry with God, myself, or others. I am not angry with God, myself, or others. So... The triangle is, I don't struggle with anger. The diamond is, I'm sometimes angry. The circle is, it depends on the situation. And the square is, yes, I need help dealing with anger. All right, so that, what's your experience with anger in your life? It's not, not a struggle. It's sometimes a struggle. It just depends on the situation. Or you really know you need help in this area. And by the way, if you do need help in this area... Hey, phone into the church office and set up an appointment with the pastor just to sit down and talk. You know, especially in, in this kind of season, sometimes those feelings are bubbling up, and it's great to have somebody that you can just chat with 
And uh, sometimes uh, those solutions come as you're just unloading things with somebody else. So if you need to, uh, uh, give us a call. We'd love to meet with you. So here's the answer. Well, the most common one is it depends on the situation. It depends on the situation. So some don't struggle, some, are, some sometimes struggle, and some definitely know they, they need help, and they, hopefully you will phone if you do. And, but depends on the situation. That's the most common one, right? Depends on the situation. Boy, it would be interesting if I could survey what were those situations. But I guess we're not going to get to that today. But uh, that's great. Let's get on to the next question here. Our next question is, I forgive people who deeply hurt me. I forgive people who deeply hurt me. So triangle is, I always seek to forgive others because Jesus has forgiven me so much. The diamond answer is, I know I need to forgive, but I struggle to forgive. So you're aware of that, need, that, that call of God to forgive, but you, you struggle. Oh, again, here depends on the situation. So some situations you forgive, some situations maybe not. And then finally, the, the square is set free retreat gave me the tools to help me forgive someone. Uh, we do a set-free retreat twice a year here at the church, uh, November and March, and it's been a great tool to help some people to get, well, it's helped many people to get through some of their hang-ups, and especially in the area of unforgiveness. We deal with that. That's one of the things of many that we deal with on that weekend retreat. So I know that it has helped people to walk through um, unforgiveness and to come out the other side, being able to bless people who have hurt them. It's an amazing process. All right, so, okay, some say, I always seek to forgive others because Jesus has forgiven me so much. And the next most popular is, I know I need to forgive, but I struggle. I struggle, okay? And then there's some who said, depends, and some say, set free, help them. That's great. I'm, I'm glad to see those responses. I think we might have one more question here. One more question. It says, I have inner peace from God. I have inner peace from God. The diamond is, God's peace has been a difference maker for me in almost every situation. So that's a pretty positive response. Or, that's the triangle. The diamond response is, I sometimes feel peace from God. Sometimes. The circle is, I've struggled to feel God's peace in this last year. And then the square is, I'm not sure if I've ever felt God's peace. So all great answers. Again, you win just for being honest. But uh, the reality is, we're just trying to get a sense of where people are at and it's also great to do a bit of self-reflection, right? Because it's an assessment for ourselves to look at. So, how, what's your experience of inner peace from God? All right, so the biggest one was the first one, that it has been a dis- difference maker for, for people in almost every situation. And then others have said, sometimes I feel peace from God, and others say, I've really struggled in this last year. Very honest answers. Thank you so much for playing along and uh, participating in today's Kahoot survey. Uh, I heard of a news story about um, a parakeet called Chippy. And uh, in the news story, it was just sort of telling what happened. See, Chippy didn't really see it coming. He was just blissfully hanging out in his little cage, and then his owner decided that it was time to clean the cage. And so she took the attachment off the end of the vacuum cleaner and she began to vacuum the bottom of his cage when her phone rang. And so she was so distracted by her phone, she grabbed it and uh, that's when it happened. Well, Chippy was gone. Chippy was gone. (laughs) And uh, so she realized that she'd vacuumed up her parakeet. And so she quickly ran over to the vacuum cleaner and she, she pulled it open and there was Chippy except for he was a lot dirtier, a lot more dazed and confused than he was before. And so she was frantic. She was like, oh, no, Chippy. And so she grabbed him, and she ran into the kitchen, and then she turned on the tap, because he was covered in dirt and and lint and everything. She turned on the tap and just, like a fire hydrant, just cleaned the guy off, just totally, you know, doused him in water. And then after that, then she realized he's, he's there with all this cold water on him, and he's starting to shiver. And so she said, oh, no, he's cold. So she ran and she got her hair dryer, and she, just like any good pet owner, and she turned it on and blasted him until he was dry. So this is a story that was recorded, you know, just a fun story that was written in the news. But the reporter who, who reported this story and wrote it and stuff like that, he actually, um, he checked back in like a week or so later. 
And he just, you know, to be kind and whatever, he checked back in and, and with, with the owner, and he just said, so how's Chippy? And she said, well, he doesn't sing anymore. <laughs> he just sits there and stares. I don't know if you've had a chippy type of year or not, <laughs> but I think a lot of us have got sucked in and washed up and blown over by some of the events that have happened in this, in this season. And one of the things that might have got blown away is your peace. We're in a a series this year, we've been in this series called Believe, and it's, it's just talking about 30 really major themes from the Bible. Ten of them are beliefs that Christians have. Just really standard, the most basic beliefs that Christians have, like God, and that he's a personal God, and salvation, and Jesus, all these different things. And then we have ten that were just practices. You know, what do Christians do? So what do Christians believe? What do Christians do? And then now we're in the, we're in the end of the year, so we're in the what do Christians become? If they believe these things, if they do these things, what do they become? What is the virtues that start showing up in their lives because of the Christian beliefs that they hold and also because of the Christian practices that they do? Well, today I have the opportunity of following up two great messages in this virtues part of the series uh, by Pastors Chris and Pastor Kurt on love and joy, and now I get to go to peace. I get to talk about peace. And the question that if you have a Believe book, uh, which is basically we've been giving away hundreds of them this year, so if you still want one, we still have the ones on the table out back, or if you're watching online, just give us a call and we'll try to get one to you, or we will get one to you. Uh, We'd love for you to have it. It's basically a Bible reading plan, 30 chapters, each chapter is on the same topic, but just gives you scripture uh, concentrated around that topic to help you really uh, understand it and grow. And... um, the question, there's a question on every chapter. The question on this chapter is, where do I find strength to battle anxiety and fear? Where do I find strength to battle anxiety and fear? And then there's an answer provided, and this is the answer. And this is the virtue, and this is the place where God wants to take you. If it's not true of you now, it's where he would love you to be. And it's, it's I am free from anxiety because I've found peace with God, peace with others, and peace with myself. I am free from anxiety because I found peace with God, peace with others, and peace with myself. Now I'm going to read you our key verse. And the neat thing about this key verse is I found this out just recently. I knew this from before. Do you want to know what the most underlined book on Kindle is? It's a really easy answer. It's the Bible, right? You knew. Yeah, it's the Bible, right? The most underlined book in the world is the Bible. And you know what the most underlined lines or verses in the entire Bible are? They're the two verses I'm about to read you. So the most underlined text in the world. I'm going to read it to you right now. Isn't that exciting? Hey, get excited. We're in church. This is fun. Oh, the anticipation is building. I can just feel it in you. That's awesome. That's great. Here we go. Do not, Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Ooh, that's a good one, isn't it? It's probably worth underlining. (laughs) It's great. The most underlined text in the entire world is about peace with God. Having peace with God. Well, what is the peace of God like? What is it like? I'm going to tell you a little bit what it's like. First of all, it's relational. It's relational. Some say, oh, so God can bring peace into my life? That would be great. I'd love for God to make peace in my life. Well, it's not like he's making peace in your life in uh, uh, just sort of separate from him. That's not how it actually works. Peace, uh, the peace of God um, is peace in relationship. And so there's three things I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about peace with God, the main one, 
and then peace with ourselves and peace with others. But it starts with relationship. It's not separate from him, um, but it's, it, it's, uh, it's in relationship with him. Ephesians 2.14 starts out this way. It just says, for he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. You can't have the peace of God without God. You can't have the peace of God without Jesus. Isaiah 9.6 says this. Maybe you've heard this at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Yeah, Prince of Peace. What a great title, right? You know, there's lots of great titles. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted I had lots of great titles. Masters of the Universe. That was a thing back then, anyhow. He-Man, you know, all that stuff. And, and uh, you know, G.I. Joe and all these different titles. But, you know, they all had these titles and different things. But Prince of Peace, that's a pretty great title. It doesn't say Master of Destruction or Dictator of Control. Or, it just says Prince of Peace. And Jesus is the overseer of peace in the world. And actually, he intends to bring his peace to the world. Now, now he's doing it in people's hearts, but he'll do it globally on a grand scale when he comes again. But he's the Prince of Peace. That's who Isaiah is talking about. He's talking about Jesus. And I can't imagine a better title to have than Prince of Peace. And that's Jesus' title. How about John 14, 27? It says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus promises not just to give you peace, but he promised to give you his peace. My peace I give you. Now, did Jesus have peace? Well, his life demonstrates that he did, especially at the end of his life. But all the way through his life, he had opposition. He had people who postured themselves as his enemies uh, and really uh, went after him. And, and he had peace when he faced them. He had, he had peace in the Garden of Gethsemane when he knew his crucifixion was coming. He had peace. It enabled him to have a clear head in that time when he was, he was contemplating, when he, even as he was praying, passionate, uh, anxiety-inducing like, type, that moment where all the pressure of the world was on him. Still, he had the peace to, to walk through that. His peace, he had peace that kept him clear-headed in the Garden of Gethsemane. His peace allowed him to care for his mother while he hung on the cross. That's not what you'd think if you're, in great, if you're being tortured. If you're in great torture, it's not necessarily you're making family arrangements in that moment, but here is Jesus able to have enough peace to look down on his mother there and say, John, you need to take her on as your mother and, and marry mom. John's going to be like the son that you're losing. That's incredible peace. And his peace enabled him to forgive those who crucified him on the cross. Usually when people are inflicting pain on us, we're not thinking about, how are they doing? I don't know, what's your experience? That's not mine, usually. I'm usually thinking about how I'm doing. I'm not doing well. This doesn't feel good. It allowed him to forgive the thief on the cross beside him. So Jesus had peace. So when he says, my peace I give to you, you say, well, he had peace. He had peace, real peace, and the kind of of peace that God wants to give each one of us. And his peace, as we read in in John 14 there, his peace is, is different from what the world gives because it's not circumstantial. What kind of peace does the world give? Well, some of it's, a lot of it's really good stuff, right? Like, um, so if you want to have peace, you buy insurance, on pretty much everything, uh, you probably save some money. You uh, you know uh, you live in a country where, that has 911 calling, so the police can get to your place quickly if you're in trouble. Uh, you you get locks or security systems, you know the best ones. You know what else can give you peace? You know you just you we have all these things built in, safeguards, extra layers, and they're good. We're thankful for them. We're glad that we have them, but. What if they're not there? What if things crumble, deteriorate? What if you can't get the police on the phone? What if your security system fails? What if, you know, what if the financial crisis happens? 
It's not circumstantial, Jesus' peace. The peace that the world gives is circumstantial, right? It's our best attempt to prevent catastrophe. But catastrophe still finds us, right? You, I mean, in this season especially, some of you have, you know, you've dealt with the uncertainty about your job in this season, where you thought, man, that's locked, that's solid. There's no way I could ever be laid off. And then suddenly, oh, wait, is my job safe? Am I have to take a pay cut? Am I going to be laid off? Some of you have been laid off. And you've gone on programs and you don't know how long that's going to last. And, and boy, everyone's dealt with uncertainty. The rules change every, what, two weeks or more than that? It's just always change, 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 change. And it's, it's affected our peace. It's affected our peace. But Jesus' peace is different than the circumstances just being hunky-dory. Jesus' peace is the kind of peace that's there when all the other things that, caught, that we would look to peace aren't. It's not circumstantial peace. It's a solid, dependable, ongoing peace. But it begins by making peace with God. It begins by making peace with God. Our most, our most basic need for peace is peace with God. And peace with God can be thought of two ways, objectively and subjectively. Most of us, when we think of peace, we think of subjective. It's like, I experience the feeling of peace. That's what we want. I want peace. I want that to experience that. But there's an objective reality when it comes to peace with God that goes first. It's the, uh, it's the horse, and then the peace feeling is the cart, right? The first thing is uh, the objective uh, reality. Now, I'm going to just read you from Ephesians 2 and 13 and 14. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. I've already read you that bit. Who's made the two groups one has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So I want to just talk about uh, the reality. In order for God to bring the experience of peace into our lives, he has to deal with the real danger and the real uh, need that we have in our lives. And this, in this verse, it talks about there's a dividing wall of hostility. Now, in this passage, it's, it's, it sort of goes both ways. It talks about a dividing wall of hostility between us and God because of our sin, but also a dividing wall of hostility between each other because of how we just tend to be selfish. Well, that's our sin as well. Like, so one is a result of our sin is that we're separate from God. We're condemned. Our sin has made us condemned before God. In fact, I got a, I got a whole, I'll read to you in a second some, just some of the condition that we find ourselves in. But that's the one reality. And the other reality is our selfishness and sin is wrecking our relationships with other people as well. So the objective uh, reality has to change. We have to have peace with God if we're going to have peace from God. And so, how does that begin? Well, I'm going to just uh, read you a little bit out of uh, Romans here. And to find out how bad it really was. What's this dividing wall of hostility about, and what was our condition? And Romans 5, verse 6 says this, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, so there's the first thing we know about ourselves, we're unable to remove the dividing wall of hostility. We're unable to make ourselves at peace with God because of our sin. The sin brings condemnation. And rightly so. God... God doesn't want anything to do with selfishness. God is pure love. He doesn't want, you know, he can't have anything to do with it. What he wants to do is not have us separated from him by our sin, but he wants to separate us from our sin so we can be with him. If that makes sense, I hope it does. Right? So he wants to remove the wall of hostility, but there's first he's got to deal with our condition. We are powerless. That's what we learned to remove the wall. Christ that while we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Occasionally you hear a story like that, but it's not the norm. That's why we think it's heroic when someone dies for a good person. We say, wow, you gave your life, or they gave their life, so someone else could live. That's not normal. If that happened every day in every situation, we wouldn't call them heroes anymore. We say, ah, oh, you're doing, just doing what's expected. No, we say, wow. And that's what the Bible says. It says it's rare. It's rare. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
So what would be a really heroic story is that, you know, the worst serial killer was going to die and then a good person sacrificed themselves so they could live. But you know, a lot of people don't have a lot of compassion on the worst. In fact, that would be super rare. But here, this is the story is that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still at odds with God, he died for us. He goes on to say more. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So the wrath of God is the consequence for our sin. Uh, it's his justice requires it. People really uh, are saying a lot about justice nowadays. We want justice. We want justice. I don't, I don't want justice for me in this area because I know I'm condemned by my sin. So I don't want justice. I actually want mercy. I want mercy. And, and the great thing is that God offers that. And I'm so thankful for that. But he said, we'll be saved from God's wrath through him. For while we were God's enemies. Oh, it's getting worse. God's enemies. He said, how are we God's enemies? This sounds too much. It's like, too, like God's building too big of a case against us. What have we really done? Here's what I think we all find within ourselves. Is we have this natural tendency inside of ourselves to not want God to be our king. It's like, here's the creator, creates his creation, and then that creation rebels against him. I mean, you know the story maybe of Adam and Eve in the garden, but if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, and I, it's funny, I read this to my, I'm reading to my seven-year-old boy right now, and we're going through the Old Testament, and we started back, and he keeps saying, because we, we keep go, we're going through how sinful, how sinful, how sinful the people of Israel were. No matter how much grace God poured on them, they'd always turn their back and went to worship idols and do all these wicked things. And we just read the part about them offering their children uh, as sacrifices in the fire. We just read that. Uh, that was two nights ago. So I'm, I'm like, it's, yes, son, it's evil. It's wicked. It's awful. And he says, I wish Adam and Eve wouldn't have ate that fruit. Me too. You know, the other day we had a meeting and we were in the prayer room. And on the prayer room we have this nice little, uh, we have this nice picture. And it's like a map of the world. To remember for us to just pray for the people of the world. And it's got, and it's, but it's not all one piece. It's like separate pieces. If you're a designer, you probably know what I'm talking about. But anyhow, it's these separate pieces and there's little gaps between. That's how I describe it. Anyhow, the Velcro on, that's holding up the one has come off and it's sort of tilted. And every time someone goes into the prayer room, they go, oh, I'm going to fix that. And they go, but the Velcro's not strong anymore. So it goes, Oop, and then it tilts back. So the other day, someone went in there to fix it, and I was there for a meeting. And I just simply said to them, I said, it's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to remind us that things are not all well in the world. Sin is a real thing. I said, every time it tilts back, just remind yourself, we got to pray. we got to pray, because things are not good. <laughs> things are not all good in the world. And so they weren't all good between us and God either. They weren't all good. We were God's enemies. We didn't want him to be our king. We wanted to go our own way. We're just, we wanted to be in control. We wanted to sit on the throne of our lives. We didn't want to submit to his leadership. It says, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not, o- not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. If you've received reconciliation, that meant at one point you weren't reconciled. You weren't in relationship with God. You weren't peace at peace with God. So that's our condition. That's our condition. And Jesus comes to remove the wall of hostility, as it, as it said in Ephesians. He comes to, to remove that wall of hostility between God and man. And he does it through his blood. You have now, let me read it to you, but now in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So this is the objective reality. God has made the way. God has... There's two things at work in here. God's justice, sin must be uh, dealt with. And then there's his mercy and grace, his love for us. And so God satisfies his justice 
and he satisfies his mercy and grace in one person, Jesus Christ. He comes and gives, he lives the perfect life so that he'd be an appropriate sacrifice. If he was just a sinner like us, there's no way. But he lives a sinless life, he perfectly obeys the Father. Then he gives himself to a sacrificial death to take the guilt of all of our sin and shame on himself so that we in exchange can have a new standing with God not standing there covered in our guilt and shame and our, our bad track record of failure and, and, uh, and rebellion against God, but actually standing before God, draped in the goodness of Jesus. And it, it says that we'll be justified. We'll be justified. You know what justified means? Well, I like saying it this way. I don't know if everybody loves it, but it's just as if I didn't sin. But I love the second part. I always want to add this. And just as if I always obeyed. It's possible to stand before God not dressed in guilt and shame because of what Jesus has done for us. It's possible, but we have to activate it in our lives. We have to receive that incredible gift into our lives. We are powerless sinners who must be justified by faith. And that's what it says in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to be justified by faith? It means we need to trust in what he's done for us. Not trust in our own goodness, not trust in our own track record. Lots of religions have like a one, two, three plan, and then you were the hero. Look how religious you were. Look how good you were. Look how righteous you were. The, the Christian uh, perspective is not about self-righteousness. In fact, it doesn't give that much credit at all. It sort of throws that under the bus and it says it's not going to be self-righteousness that's going to get you right with God. It's going to be Jesus' righteousness. It's going to be Jesus' sacrifice. It's going to be this exchange where he offers us his righteousness and he takes on our sin. That's what's going to make you right with God. We must be justified by trusting in that, justified by faith. Believe in him as your Savior, as your Lord, as your most precious relationship, and as your ultimate treasure. Now, how does this happen? How does this happen? It's like, this is how I imagine it. Because before Jesus goes to the cross, he has, this, he has these dialogues with his disciples. They're really neat. He's, he tells them stuff like, I and the Father am one, and I just do what the Father wants, and I'm in a great relationship with the Father, and there's this great Father, Son, awesome, amazing relationship, and you can be a part of this. I mean, let me throw this out to you. Do you ever meet a family that's way better than your family? I mean, don't put up your hands, please. But, I mean, you ever meet a family that's way better than your family? Like, I thought our family was just hunky-dory and great, you know? And then I met other families, and I'm like, whoa, those people are pretty functional. That's amazing what they can do and how they relate. They hug each other on purpose. Oh, wow. Okay, I'll tell you the story. It's a horrible story. Anyhow, my, this lady came to visit my mom, and she said um, to us boys, do you kiss your mother? And we're all horrified at the thought and said, no. And then she cornered my one brother, and she said, well, you should kiss your mother right now. And the rest of us boys, a family of seven, six boys, one girl, we ran. Like literally just scattered to the far corners of the house. We just thought, this lady is psycho. She is forcing us to kiss our mother, which we didn't do. This is not what the Atkins do. We don't kiss our mothers. We don't kiss each other. We don't kiss anyone. We don't kiss. We don't hug. We, don't... we might shake hands once in a lifetime. You know, we are not physically affectionate. So I was like, what is this lady doing? So my, she cornered my one brother, and he's in the living room, and she's pressuring him to kiss my mom, and my mom's awkward about it. Ah, it's all... But some people are just really natural with that physical affection stuff. Wow. That's awesome. Good for you. I'm still working at it. I wish I was like you. Your family's awesome. Jesus invites us into this brand new family where love is pure. The Father and the Son, so united. And he says, you can be a part of that. The Father and the Son's relationship is perfect peace. He invites us to be a part of that. The disciples would come and they see Jesus praying. They realize the relationship we have with the Father and they say, how do you have that, Jesus? We want that. And he said, you can have that. I'll tell you how to have that. I'll tell you how he can be your Father too. And you know what? He loves you like he loves me. 
And they're like, whoa, this is incredible. And he tells them all these great things about how they can have peace uh, with God in their lives and how they can have this amazing relationship with God in their lives. And this is, you know what he's doing this? Just in the shadow of his own crucifixion. If you were about to be killed, unjustly killed, in a torturous way, would you be thinking about somebody else's heart and how their peace is going to be? Well, maybe, but maybe not. But Jesus is just pouring himself into them. He says, I don't want your hearts to be troubled. I want you to have my peace. I have peace. That's why I can face what's coming. I want you to have the same peace in your life as well. And so, we're invited into that peace together. Invited into peace with God. By trusting in Jesus. By trusting in what he has done for us. So he invites us in and then we have an opportunity to respond. Now, I want to just lead you in a, a prayer of commitment this morning. You may be right now to say, I want that. I want peace in my life. It comes from having peace with God first. No longer being enemies, no longer a wall of hostility, no longer an object of wrath, no longer condemned by sin, but instead welcomed into this incredible new spiritual family that God is building. Invited into peace. So here's a prayer, and we just pray this. We pray this all the time until Christ, because it's a prayer of daily commitment, but it could also could be a first-time commitment for you. And I'll just lead you in this. But this is the kind of, I want in. Jesus, you want to give me this peace? I want to have that peace. I don't want to be hostile towards you anymore. I want to be uh, not a rebel. I want to be a partner in your kingdom. Instead of refusing you as king, I want to receive you as king. I want to live in the, a new chapter where you are for me and I am for you. I don't want that hostility between you and me anymore. So let me just lead you in this prayer. Dear Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you get to the place where you're at peace with God, then the, whole, the, the other dominoes begin to fall. I just want to say this. The other dominoes begin to fall. The second thing is you get peace with yourself. You get peace with yourself. Here's the thing. If God no longer condemns you, if he's for you, not against you, if the word he speaks over your life is a better word than you've ever heard over your life, there's more affection, there's more affirmation. It's just like he said over Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He's speaking those kind of things over your life. The delight that he has in you and how he made you and how he's, he's called you to be a partner with him and bringing reconciliation and peace to the world. Then it doesn't make any sense for you to condemn yourself anymore either. If he's not condemning you, and he's the greater authority, we are not. It doesn't, make for us, it doesn't make sense for us to be out of line with that. And I love what it says in Romans, in Romans uh, 5, where we're, we're looking here. Um, it says that it makes sense... Uh, let me back it up here. Romans 5, 2 is, is just an incredible verse. And this really spoke to me when I first uh, was looking at these verses. It spoke to me personally. I just... Um, Yeah. Oh, sorry, guys. I'll just give you the phrase. It just talks about standing in the grace that Christ is. If we've been justified by faith, then we need to, that's the grace in which we should stand. Right? So instead of standing in condemnation, uh, especially self-condemnation or other people's condemnation and making that our standing, our, we should plant our feet on a different foundation, and that is his affirmation, his affection, his redemption, his reconciliation, what he's brought us into. Now this is, for me, it's practical. It, it means that i got to quit focusing on, because uh, my heart is one of my worst critics, right? I have, to, I have to deal with the fact that I'm most self-condemning of my, like I'm the worst critic of myself. Oh, I have other critics too, but I, I think I'm the, the number one on the list. 
And the help with that is that God has spoken, God is a greater authority than I am. Now, if I posture myself as the greater authority, I'm not getting it right. Because when I come to Christ and give him my life, I recognize he's Lord, I'm not. So if, I, if he's forgiven me, then who am I to say, well, I won't forgive myself? That doesn't make any sense. If he's not condemning me, who am I to say, I condemn myself? I need to align myself with God. What he says over my life is the truth. And so, I wanna, so if I catch myself saying things over my life that sound more like the devil speaking or sound more like my own self-condemning heart, I need to realign. I need to say, that's not what God speaks over my life. And, and, and things can change. So it doesn't matter. This morning, maybe you got up and your hair was a mess and you had eye stuff, stuff in your eyes and, you, and maybe you hadn't shaved yet if you're a guy or maybe your, your breath could like melt the paint off the wall. You know, God loved you then. You might have got presentable so you could be with us and we should appreciate that. But God loved you before any of that. And so when the thoughts come and when the accusations come and sometimes they're stuff from our past and those things need to be pushed back on now. They need to be resisted. They need to be rejected. They need to be captured and brought into obedience to Christ and be replaced with the truth that you are loved. You are loved deeply by God. That needs to be the banner over you, the banner over your life. Steve is loved by God. Steve is accepted by God. Put your own name in there. And so that, often the lack of peace with ourselves is we keep going back to our past, how I failed, how I wished, how I had regrets, I wish I didn't, even I fail now. But, you know, there's a whole, just uh, a there's grace, 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 and more grace for you in these days. Everybody who follows Jesus, it's not that you get saved by grace and then you live by your own strength. No, we just, we need grace every day. We need to burn, we burn through grace like jet fuel every day. And our standing is not based on our performance. Our standing is based on Christ's performance. What he did on the cross was enough. To give us a, a, a perfect standing with God. To make us righteous in His sight. So that we don't stand in shame before God. Now, we don't stand in pride because we didn't do it. So we stand in gratitude before God. That's why when we worship God, it's so moving in our hearts. We go, I don't deserve this. I didn't earn it. I've got it. God is so good to me. He is amazing. And you know what? When the angels came and they said, you know, basically uh, in the story, Christmas story is, you know, glory to God, peace on earth towards men. Those things are linked. As you give glory to God, you'll experience more peace on earth as a man or a woman. And then the final shoe to drop is peace with others. Peace with others. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they'll be called children of God. You know what? You, know, you want to resemble the the Prince of Peace, be a peacemaker. People say, hey, there's a family resemblance. He must be a child of God. She must be a child of God because they're looking to make peace in this world. They're, they're a minister of reconciliation. They've got the message of reconciliation. They've got the heart of reconciliation. They want to see peace in this world. I've been thinking about how our distance in this year has made it harder. We all know that people aren't as nice on the internet as they are in real person because you can get away with it, right? And uh, I guess that's in many different ways, right? When you don't have to sort of have relationship with people, you maybe are more tempted to, to not be as nice. And the reality is, too, is you start to doubt. When you don't see people often, you start to doubt their intentions. You start to imagine the worst-case scenarios start getting fearful and things get difficult. I was just reflecting on this uh, reality is that I've seen this many times, mostly on social media. Someone saying, that person or those people or somebody else, they're just operating out of fear. It's like one of the best insults you can give this year. I, I don't mean that, you know, I'm sort of joking, right? It's like, they're operating out of fear. And the person on the other end could say, well, no, no, you're operating out of fear. It's like a, a great insult. 
It reminds me of the story Jesus tells. I think I'll close with this. Well, the story and the application. I don't want to overpromise. Jesus tells the story. He says, two guys go to the temple to pray. One's a tax collector. Now, tax collectors, have, they're Jewish people who've sided with the Romans. The Romans occupy Palestine, and so, and so Israel is under the thumb of the Romans, and the tax collectors are their partners that collect the taxes from the people and then skim a good portion off the top for themselves and then give the money to the oppressors. Nobody likes tax collectors because they're traitors to their own people. You might say tax collectors are operating out of fear or greed or selfishness. If there was social media back then, there'd be lots of things said about tax collectors. But Jesus tells this story. He says this, and it's a story. He says these two guys go into the temple, and the one guy, he's not a tax collector, he's what they call Pharisee, but he stands up and he says, he sees the other guy, the tax collector, out of the corner of his eye, and then he prays this prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not a sinner like that tax collector. <laughs> I've seen a lot of social media posts that actually are almost that verbatim. I'm so thankful in this season that I was righteous. That I'm brave. That I don't have any fear. I don't think it's been true, actually. At the other end of the temple, there's this other guy, and the tax collector, he gets down and he just says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a terrible sinner. And Jesus says, at the end of the day, only one of these guys goes away justified. Only one of these guys goes away right with God or at peace with God, and that's the guy who acknowledges where he's at. In this season, I think it's been hard for people to acknowledge that they're fearful, even though there's been so many things that cause us to be fearful. In March last year, I I had a real bout of anxiety. Very serious bout of anxiety in my life. I built my whole year towards taking a big break in the summer. Parental leave. Our daughter was going to be finally adopted. They told us it would happen by Christmas. And then I would go on parental leave in the summer. And so April 30th, I was going to be done work here. And I was going to just take time off. And so I worked so hard to get to April 30th. And then someone introduced a virus into the world. Just for me. No, not just for me. And then suddenly, leading a church changed, and it was harder, and it was difficult, and I wanted to rise up in so many different ways, and I just didn't find it in me anymore. And I was ashamed of my anxiety. I was ashamed of my hesitancy. And you know what I received? Grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. God gave me grace in so much quantity. My coworkers gave me grace in so much quantity. This church gave me grace in so much quantity. My wife gave me grace. My kids gave me grace. I just got truckloads of grace. If you've been scared in this year, I'm, I'm talking about peace, I'm talking about anxious thoughts, I'm talking about fears. You know what? There's grace for you. There's grace for you if you're scared right now. If you don't know where it's going, if you've got all sorts of fears that are, that are rolling around in your head, there's grace for you. But I want to tell you the secret. I want to tell you the secret to getting that peace activating your life. And now I'm probably speaking mostly to Christians right now, but I just want to tell you the secret. The secret is to trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's the secret to having peace in your life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You say, oh, I'm not very good at trusting God. And say, oh, okay, then here's how you get there. Focus on Jesus, not yourself. If you want to trust in God, then don't look at yourself, because that's not going to, you know, you'll just get discouraged. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. He's trustworthy. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. Don't keep looking at yourself. You find discouraging things there. We all do, can, right? Just look at him and look at him and look at him and look at him and look at him. Focus on him. And then rest 
and who he is for you and what he's done for you. Make your focus Jesus. Trust him in him with all your heart. And then the final piece is what we learned in our main verse. Then cast all your cares upon him. Bring all your anxious thoughts to him. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and mind. Your heart and mind is under attack. He'll be your guard. He'll be your guard. Focus on him. Trust in him with all your heart. And then just bring your anxieties. Roll them on to him. God, I'm anxious. God, I'm scared. God, I'm troubled. But I've got you. And you're trustworthy. And you're true. And you're dependable. And you won for me on the cross. Eternal life. And you said your peace would be my peace. And your relationship with the Father would be my relationship with the Father. And so I've got a source of affection and affirmation and security that I didn't earn and I don't deserve, but uh, I'm so grateful for. Can I pray for you? I invite you to stand. Let's do that together. <laughs> yeah. Lord, I think of just... I think it's over 400 times the Bible's talking about peace. It's just it's such a major theme in the scriptures. Peace, peace, peace. Peace with God. And Lord, we just, I just pray that the peace of God would be experienced. <laughs> Lord, I, I, if there's any who, they haven't changed the objective reality because they haven't received your gift of salvation. They haven't received your gift of grace they haven't been justified by trusting in you. I pray that they would not, uh, they wouldn't hold back from receiving you as Lord and King in their lives. And Lord, for those who've, who've, who've they've crossed that line of faith, they say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but I do struggle in this area because sometimes my, I get thinking about other areas. I think about myself. I think about problems. I think about whatever boogeyman are out there in, in, in this environment or this day. Lord, draw our focus upward to you. Draw our focus back to you. You are trustworthy. You are sure. You are dependable. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. When this historic story of mankind is all rolled up in the scroll, it's you who's going to be standing there. The Prince of Peace. You will bring peace to this world. You'll bring peace to, to, the, to men and women. You're the source of peace. So, Lord, we just want to fix our eyes on you. You're the author and perfecter of our faith. You started us on this road. You'll take us all the way through. You will take us all the way through. Even someone needs to hear that this morning. God will take you all the way through. He will take you all the way through. It looks dark. He'll take you all the way through. He'll be with you in the night. He'll be with you in that, that situation that's looming. He'll be with you. He'll take you all the way through. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is for you. He's not against you. And he's speaking a much better word over your life than you could ever speak over yourself. He's saying, you're my treasured possession. And he's yours as well. So in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. Thank you that you, you won for us on the cross our peace. You won so much on the cross, but we just thank you today for the peace that you won for us and the peace that you give us and the peace that you are to us. You are our peace. We worship you with gratitude and humility in the name of Jesus. Amen.